You're listening to The Outspoken Bible, a podcast from Scottish Bible Society with Fiona Stewart, Neil Glover and Jen Robertson. Hello and welcome to Season 4, Episode 17 of The Outspoken Bible. I'm Fiona Stewart. I'm here with Neil Glover. Hello. Hello. And also with Jill Life. Hello. Hello there. Good to see you. Now, we are living in turbulent times. Since we last recorded, we have a new Prime Minister and indeed a new King in the UK. And as we record, we're in the period of national mourning between the death of the late Queen and her funeral. So I suspect that some of what we will talk about will reflect some of that current reality today. Meanwhile, things are, of course, a little bit different here at the Outspoken Bible. From social media, you may be pleased to hear, you may have spotted already that Jen has arrived safely in Bolivia. And uh, meanwhile, we're joined today uh, and next episode by Jill Life. Jill, welcome to the Outspoken Bible. For the benefit of me, Neil, and indeed anyone who's listening, I wondered if you wanted to just, could you just give us a little bit of introduction to who you are, what you do? Okay, so yes, I um, I live in Dunfermline, uh, been there for the last 12 or so years, and I live there with my husband Stan, he's an associate pastor at our church in Dunfermline, and we have two children, Joel and Hope, Joel turned 15 yesterday, and considering in my mind I am 19 years old and always will be, it is a bit of a shock that I now have a 15 year old child, and um, what else can I tell um, you about myself well I am a very good home baker I make a very good red velvet cupcake oh I am an excellent ballroom dancer in my mind <laughs> um I work for a charity called care for the family I uh, head up the work in Scotland for that charity and then um, I'm a speaker for them and um one of my great passions is talking <laughs> I love talking and meeting new people. I just find people fascinating. And so, um, yeah, it's just great to be here today. And I should probably also mention that I have known Fiona Stewart for decades. It's true. Uh, she was a huge part of my life when I was a teenager. She was, what did you call it, a reach-out worker? I was a reach-out skills worker. Yeah, yeah, reach-out worker. worker yeah. And was hugely influential in my life. And I wouldn't be here today if I hadn't been for her input and encouragement and, uh, yeah, keeping me on the straight and narrow when I may have wandered <laughs> elsewhere. So thank you, Fiona. And it's a pleasure to meet Neil. And I look forward to getting to know you, Neil. Yes, nice to meet you, Joe. I, I know your mum and dad a little bit, but it's really nice to, to meet you. And identify the Fiona Stewart thing. I was once with um, a group of three Christians um, who I didn't know at all. And I, I had to work out how to break the ice with them. So I just said, how do you know Fiona Stewart? I didn't even know if they did or not. That's what I just said. So and they all did. And they all did. So I love it. Oh, no, one didn't. One didn't. But I was shocked. I mean, can, I, can I just say, though, I actually sometimes find this a bit awkward because I think I really hope people remember... Jesus and not me. Well, I used to think that when I was a schools worker because people would always remember Jessica, the puppet. And I was like, it's really not just about Jessica, it's really also about Jesus. Oh, I, I just pray that the Lord Jesus And I remember Jessica. Anyway, that's a whole other line of conversation that we will um, avoid for yes. now. But if anyone's interested in knowing more about Jessica, she's, she's still alive. She still lives in her box. I want to explore the idea about how we can be Jesus to people. But anyway, we're we're yeah, already I know, expanding I know. the pre. I think you just have to you do have to just trust, don't you, that that Jesus uses it. Um, Jill, I was going to say something else on the back of that. I think was it the red velvet cupcakes? Very topical oh. with Bake Off starting this oh. this week of so, recording. 
Yes, Bake Off's interesting because every season I watch it and I go, I think I could maybe do that. And then I think, no, I don't think I could. Well, but if I might... Part of me is like, oh, I'd love to. Well, if I might just say, I actually know one of the, the contestants this year. Kevin Flynn used to be on my camp team. Yep. He's a lovely music teacher from Lanarkshire and he is on the Bake Off this year. Oh, how exciting. So, Kevin Flynn, look out for him. Baker mm-hmm. extraordinary. So, yeah, I think you could do it. That's what I was going to say. You used to be a chocolatier. That's always the thing I find oh, fascinating. Oh, I did that as well, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that was quite a large part of my life, actually. Yeah, oh, ran really? a chocolatier business on, for a few on. years. We have a chocolatier up near us. You do? Yeah. Oh, yes. Um, His name, Ian Burnett. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, I used to hang out with him back with in you? the day. With his legendary troubles. Not that many of them in Scotland. Yeah. Um, no, it was great. Like I made chocolates for royalty. David Beckham made my chocolates. Like it was, it was a whirlwind adventure. But in the end of the day, there are only twenty four hours in the day, and when you're working like seventeen of them, you kind of go, "Ha! Oh, something needs to change." Mm. So we sold that on, and um, but yeah, it was great, great memories. There you go. So so much already that we want to explore. So listeners, um, we haven't had any correspondence for a little while. So if you want to get in touch with comments, questions, you can ask about red velvet cake recipes or how to make a bar of chocolate, I don't know, or or even something about the passage that we're discussing. Um, You can do that by emailing outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org or of course contact us via social media. And of course, just here's a reminder that if you like what you hear, then please do recommend us to other people. Uh, Maybe people in your church or your community might be interested in listening. And if you're so inclined, you can give us a rate and review on your podcast app. And that uh, does something to the algorithm that means other people get to hear about us. So, Without further ado, we are talking about John chapter 16 today. So that's on page 49 of Light and Life Gospel. And it is a chapter of plain speaking, figurative illustration and prophetic anticipation. But before we turn to any of that, it's time for Glover's Off. Glover's Off this week is about Her Majesty the Queen. And I think I want to reflect on a number of things about the Queen's life, who was a patron of the Scottish Bible Society, so very close to this podcast in, in many ways. I think I would draw on three things. The first would be humility. The, there are so many stories of the ordinariness of the Queen um, that she loved to be amongst us. And in doing so, she embodied a great truth because we love stories about how a king or a queen comes amongst us. There's a famous uh, picture of a poem by Rabindranath Tragore, the Indian poet, about the king who comes as a beggar. Um, we love the story of King Alfred and the, and the, and the cakes. My favourite kind of queen amongst us story is one that was told by a protection officer called Richard Griffin, who was out in the grounds of Balmoral, and he was with the Queen. And in the estate, they came across two American tourists. And the tourists began talking to them and said, wow, we're on Balmoral. It's amazing, isn't it? I wonder where the Queen is now. And they turned to Richard Griffin and said, have you ever met the Queen? I said, yes, I've met her her quite a a few times. And I'm like, wow, you've met the Queen. Of course, all this time. The Queen is standing there as well. Um, and But they don't recognise her. And, and they start talking to her. They almost ignore her because they love him because he's worked with the Queen. So they said, um, what's she like? And uh, he he knows that the Queen likes a bit of a joke. So he says, oh, she's actually quite cantankerous and quite difficult to work for. 
<laughs> and they're like, oh, that's incredible. And then they say, they turn to the woman who's next to him and say, we can't believe that we've just met the guy who's met the queen. Could you take a photograph of us with him, please? <laughs> so she then takes his picture. Uh, and, and then just to kind of, let them off. He then says, why don't I just take you a picture with my friend here as well? So they they had the picture and they loved the idea that when they got home, they would open that up. For me, of course, and I have talked about this a few times, when I was at Balmoral, the the moment that that most um, hit home for me was when I I was going to be driven out to the the Bothy where we were going to have a barbecue one night. And uh, the, I got into the Land Rover thinking, oh, I wanted to be in the back with the Queen. Uh, and uh, instead, I'll be chatting to a protection officer, got in the passenger seat, turned to my right hand side. But who was next to me? But a 90 at that point, 93 year old Queen driving me about uh, in her Range Rover. And I, I just loved that moment. And um, there are so many stories I, c- I could tell about her. But I think the two things I would say would be that she embodied what Philippians Paul are just to do, let the same mind be of you as is in Christ, who did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, uh, but instead became lowly as a servant. And the, the moments for me when when the Queen served me, when the when the Queen made me a salad and and, and put me put it in front of me, just so powerful. But there's so many powerful stories of that. And the other thing I've just paid tribute to is that moment in her coronation, which I think uh, quite a few people have spoken about, where before she goes to get crowned, she herself knelt uh, before the throne of God and and his Lord, our Lord rather, was her Lord. And and she lived that. And I think that was a part of her life because she she always knew that. So mm. with with much affection, for a remarkable, wonderful woman whose life touched so many other people. Um, the Clovers Off this week is an affectionate remembrance of Her Majesty the Queen. Lovely. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, we're always keen to hear your stories, Neil. Of... <laughs> There's not many people <laughs> yeah. have said that this week. It's like, royalty. oh, it's another one. <laughs> another Neil stories at royalty. I love it. I love it. Brilliant. Um, now, we are on page 49 of Light and Life, uh, if you're following along with us. And, of course, for anyone who's using a Bible with verse numbers, it's chapter 16 of John's Gospel. Now, the last time we left Jesus talking about remaining in him, And now we suddenly find ourselves uh, with the disciples plunged into this stark reality of the fact that Jesus is about to leave them and things are going to get very unpleasant for anyone who claims to follow him. Um, Jill, why don't you kick us off? How did did you find this chapter? We've plunged you into a series that, you know, John's gospel is full of encounters. We've got the woman at the well. We've got uh, the healing of the blind man. Suddenly suddenly you come in and and you're on this quite dense chapter. How how did you respond to that? I kind of felt, could I not have had an easier one? Um, Because I find reading stories so much easier. There's more to be able to um, relate to. um, But actually, having this challenge to really look into this, I've loved it. And it has a real eye-opener for me in terms of this just being one huge long conversation Mm -hmm. and John's gospel is the only one that has this long conversation Um, and when you look at the page lengths more time is spent 
on this conversation than Jesus preaching. So I think John must be saying something here that, no, actually this conversation is really, really important. Um, and it makes me very aware we're, you know, we're all communicators, that's what we do. Um, and we spend a lot of time speaking to people, imparting information, compelling people to change, passing on wisdom. Over the years, you know, I think I've listened to thousands of sermons, talks, seminars, and if it, if I was asked, um, could you recount 20, 30, 40 of those, I would struggle. Mm-hmm. But it's the, the conversations that stick in our minds, isn't it? It's the coffee after a sermon at church, perhaps, or um, after you've heard a talk um, online and it's the, the, the chat you're having on WhatsApp with somebody. I think it is the conversation that's actually really important. Um, My friend, he, uh, during his PhD, he did some research with the Methodist Church. And time and again, when people were asked, um, you know, what helped you in the formation of your faith? They didn't mention sermons, curriculums, programs. What they mentioned were conversations. Mm. So it was the throwaway comment after a service. Those were the things that they were quoting back. And I think that's probably why I have got so into podcasts, because it's conversational, isn't it? There is this opportunity to, yes, really dig deep, but it's not just sitting listening. It's actually an interactive thing, which I think is fantastic. And if we're to look at the Bible, Christian formation happens through conversation, mm-hmm. you know, think of Deuteronomy 6 and 11, where we're told that um, the words of God have to be passed on to the generations through um, walking along the road, having a meal together, when you lay down to sleep at night. And if I was to push it even further, I'm like, why are we still asking people to sit through 45 minute sermons? Um, my husband was uh, preaching at um, Community Church Edinburgh on Sunday there, and they have a lovely thing where the, the person who is asked to speak speaks for 25 minutes, and then they open it up, and people are sat around little coffee tables. It's not in rows anymore. And he asked some questions, and people had some conversation, and then we had people coming up to the microphone and, and giving a thought. And, and I'm thinking, yes, that's so exciting that we're getting away from this idea of just listening. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, John has seen that this conversation for those disciples was life changing, and perhaps they got more from that than they would have just listening to Jesus. Um, we have. Um, launched a new congregation in our church called Gathering with God and it's an intergenerational one it happens on a Wednesday tea time and that's very much how we are learning it's over a meal it's at discussion times at a table it's it's through conversation and I just I'm excited that going forward as a church perhaps we are going to rely more on conversation just as was modeled here by Jesus um yeah conversation i love okay. it okay i like now interesting so let's let's bring somebody else into this conversation so neil glover minister of word and sacrament with church scotland uh what's your response to that i think that's that's fascinating and i well firstly it, you're just making me think about how we structure our services and and we do try to bring in conversation but there's a lot of resistance so i for me it, it's about a uh, sometimes 
finding the question that opens up. And actually, it's, it's always that thing that when you go into it, people are just terrified and then and then it happens. So I think we, we, we've begun a series on 1 Corinthians. So I asked people, when 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 were letter write, when was letter writing an important part of your life? And that opened up all sorts of stuff mm-hmm. to folk. On the subject of conversations, this is a particular kind of conversation which anybody who's been involved, I hate to use this example, but it's very stark, people I know who have been involved in some form of church conflict um, will tell me, or I, when I've been involved in it, that for weeks and weeks and weeks, everybody just talks and talks and talks about the same thing and the conversation keeps coming back around and round and round again. Mm. Or if somebody's in a work crisis, um, once again, maybe there's a problem person who's a problematic behavioural person at work. Again and again, people just come back and back and back to this person. Or if a relationship is going through a time where it might end, the couple involved will be the same again and again. And what's the common factor in all of those? What type of conversation? It's crisis. There is a present crisis, whether it's a potential split in a church, possible end of employment, a possible end of a relationship. Here, the crisis is that Jesus is going to depart, his hour, which is also going to involve suffering. And therefore, that provokes that particular kind of conversation, which is the time that just keeps coming around and around. And people can't see, but my hands keep going round and round as I, I talk about this. And firstly, that says to me, actually, sometimes you need that conversation. You know, sometimes people say, oh, we just keep going round and round and round. Well, well, maybe that's what you need to do. Yeah. But there's so many elements in chapter 16 about the paraclete, about departure, about peace, about prayer that have, have already reappeared in chapters 13 through to 15. So that's the crisis. Jesus is departing his hour. And then the crisis is felt in three different places. We, we can maybe talk about this later. It's, it's partly within Jesus, although he manages to get some perspective on it. Secondly, it's for the disciples, how they're going to cope when Jesus goes. And thirdly, this is a crisis being faced by John's readers. Um, in AD 70 to 85, round about when this letter was written, there was a massive crisis within Judaism and the believers were being pushed out of the synagogue. And chapter 16 begins by saying, you will be put out of the synagogue. Mm. Notice that in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, when Jesus talks about persecution, he talks about kings and governors and courts and government authorities and all these different kind of things. In John, it's only been pushed out of the synagogue. That's the crisis. And that's a massive crisis for people. Anybody who's ever been removed from a church will tell you just the trauma that they experience. So that's what these people are experiencing. And what's the response to this crisis? It is the loving, enfolding activity of Father, Son, and Spirit gathering and speaking and loving these disciples into themselves. So I think this this chapter is a sign of a conversation which goes in round and round in response to a crisis. And Jesus responds by saying, let not your hearts be troubled, Mm. and then begins to speak words which draw the disciples into the life of him and the Father and of the Spirit. I think that's really interesting from from both of you, because actually what's coming out is this idea of the process being important. Mm. Do you know, so so I I think about that quite a lot. I think I've said this before, in terms of um, drama and so on, that that performance is is interesting. I love performance. The thing I'm really interested in in drama is is the process. What happens when you are exploring a story, engaging with an idea. And and that idea of going round and round, Neil, it, it, mm. it, it would very much speak to that. And I think, and speaking to your point, Jill, I think within the kind of arts and media cultural setting, we're 
we're quite good at that. In fact, if anything, we go round and round in circles and don't don't reach conclusions sometimes. <laughs> Whereas I think I think you're right. I think traditionally, often within church, we 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 become very much driven by the inf- the impartation of information as opposed to the, the 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 process that actually grows people. Which maybe ties back to the last chapter we talked about last time and that that idea of remaining and growing and the steady slow process of 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 all of that. Yes, because I think the conversation takes time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, as you said, Neil, it's necessary, I think, sometimes to go round and round with something. Yeah. Um, and I wonder whether we, um, in our church life, think, well, we don't really have the time for that. So let's just try yes. and push forward. Um, yeah, that is interesting. Are we not willing to give it the time? it maybe deserves yeah T- time is interesting i think in, in reference to this chapter as well because that was one of the things that that jumped out at me as i read was it, it struck me again how much jesus holds back from telling people telling the disciples what's going to happen so he he must hold all of this knowledge of what what will happen and yet he he knows his timing in terms of how much he tells them at any given point and and how much they are able to cope with at any given point is quite striking i think isn't it yeah it's a kind of it's that love i mean although i've talked about this in some senses the greatest crisis that's been faced here is by jesus but he's the one who's able to move to the world of other people mm-hmm. just just a, a slightly trivial example um fiona but but perhaps shows the height of this you talked about your friend who's been on bake-off now i happen to know that you've known that for quite a lot of time so you've had to hold on to that and not been able to tell anybody you're not allowed to until the program goes out and that's been hard for you (laughs) um now just imagine what it must have been like for jesus you know this is not a friend of his who's going to be on bake-off this is the entire thing of my whole life and he holds it and he holds it out of love for his disciples and if one of the, as I've said already, one of the big overarching themes of this passage is just Jesus moving and holding his disciples, which doesn't necessarily mean saying nice things to them. Mm-hmm. It means saying the truth to them. Mm-hmm. And that strikes me as, as being very much what a pastor is. Mm-hmm. A pastor is somebody who pastors the sheep and, and who, who, I guess, is able to hold yeah. at, at some personal cost often in order that the sheep will flourish. Yeah, yeah. I'm yes, there, from the there's, certain, there's the always pastor, certain things you, know. you can't say as a pastor. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's really hard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that that's how, you know, the, this final um, final evening with the disciples, that's what he was spending time doing, just that mm. slow release almost of what was going to happen. And, you know, that he was concerned about how they were going to react to that, like how they were going to feel about that. And so when they asked the question, what do you mean by you won't see me? And then a little while, not long after that, doesn't actually directly answer that question. He answers by describing how they're going to feel. Um, And I love that he's caring about their emotions because we are emotional people. That's how God has created us. and just as that care, you know, that little by little, let's just take time over this. I'm with you, boys. This is going to be okay. Um, yeah, I think that's, I think that speaks volumes about God knowing us intimately and knowing yeah. what we need um, every step of the way. Yeah. 
It's funny you should say every step of the way because I think metaphorically what's going on here is what has already happened in chapter 13. Jesus knew that Isaiah was going to come. So what does he do? He gets down on his knees, he wraps a towel around himself and he washes feet. He cares for feet. And what do you need feet for? You need to go step by step Mm. on the way. What does Jesus describe himself in John chapter 14? I am the way. Um, in the, I'm trying to find the verse here, but in chapter 16, when it says the, 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 yes, verse 13, the spirit comes, he will guide you into all the truth. The word guide there literally means lead you on the path. So what Jesus is doing now symbolically is he's washing their feet with words. He's, he's, he's preparing their feet to walk in the path after him so these chapters both contain a literal washing of feet and then in these words a metaphoric washing of feet to prepare them to walk the way that's good that's good um i I don't want to shift gear too abruptly but that whole um section that from verse 17 onwards where they they are confused about what's happening it is quite funny yes oh I'd love to see it acted out with some Glaswegian actors. I think so. Elaine C. Smith. Amazing. And Fiona Stewart. Yeah, Fiona Stewart. You could write that and then perform that. I mean, it is. It's like, oh, what do you think? What do you think he's? Do you, th- do you know? I don't know. Well, what, why don't you? I don't know. What? Somebody ask him. Go on. You can ask him. No, I'm not asking him. He's already said. I mean, it, you can just imagine the jostling, and then you can just imagine Jesus standing off to the side and. I think it's interesting when you first read it, you go, hmm, has Jesus by some sort of miracle being the all-knowing God heard what they're saying like spiritually? No, I think he probably wasn't that far off and they were just having a big chit-chat between themselves, you know? I, I mean, I again, it's a, it's a slightly trivial example, but I've got scaffolding on my building at the moment and the, the guys who are putting the scaffolding up, they're only halfway through the job. I'm hoping they don't come in today. Um they they never stop talking. And, and I've been reflecting on that, thinking maybe it's because of the type of work they do, that they're at height, so they need to keep communicating. I, I don't know. But they are honestly the funniest guys I've ever heard. <laughs> and the other day, I've got a pumpkin growing in my garden. Somebody gave me a pumpkin plant, and it's produced a pumpkin, which is actually amazing. I, I overheard, Jill, just like you said, I overheard this hilarious conversation. I'll not act it out, because this is not the appropriate moment for it, but hilarious conversation, because they thought it was a melon. And there was a melon tree, and there was a whole conversation about how you can't grow a melon tree in the east end of Glasgow, Look at that. What is that? Da, da, da. And, and I had that very thing where I thought, oh, I could lean out the window and say, guys, just to put you out your misery, <laughs> it's a pumpkin. <laughs> it's an odd shaped, it's an odd coloured pumpkin. Um, and I didn't. I thought, oh, no, I'm enjoying this too much. I'm just going to sit and enjoy this. And then later on, I, you know, I was talking to them about something else. I said, oh, guys, by the way, that's not. A... I, I said that. I said that, Stevie. I said you can't grow a melon in the Mid-East End. But it, it, it was exactly like that, isn't it? And it's, 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 you don't want to over-extrapolate from something, but it, it's a reminder, I think, that discipleship is not for the elite. Mm. It's for the ones who don't get it and mm. who are prepared to be a bit bold and talk about yeah. it, you know? Yeah. What is that? Don't, what is don't that? Is that jump ahead too much, but I do feel sorry for them. They're all chatting away, and then at the very end, they go, yes, we get it now, we're there. <laughs> uh, we understand, you've told us everything. And she just goes, no, you don't. <laughs> You're going to run away. No, I don't think so. Not yet. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. No, something very beautiful, very real. In the midst of, like you say, Jill, this this very um, you know, it's very dense. These chapters, isn't it? 
Can I, can I say something about verse, when you said verse 17, suddenly yeah. my heart dropped because I, I wanted to just think about something in verse 8 to 11. Oh yeah, please do, please do. Um, yep. One of the catches says, where is that enlightened life? I know. Uh, <laughs> I've got my real Bible in front of me as well. <laughs> <laughs> Irony, of course, is that light and life without the verses is truer to the original than yeah, the one no, than exactly. the we have. So yes. I could... I often think it's the hard verses, the ones that give you the keys. So verses 8 to 11 were so difficult that Augustine refused to comment on them. He said, these verses are too hard. Just uh, give up. I like that honesty. Yeah, yeah. I like that honesty. So I'm going to wade in. Go. <laughs> you, no, why don't you give it a go then? <laughs> I think I finally got it. <laughs> so, verse 8 to 11, use trial language. Um it says, Jesus says about the spirit, the advocate, so already advocate, that's a legal term, a paraclete, a, the one who comes alongside, he will prove the world wrong about sin. Now, the, the word there can either mean he will confound or he will bring to light. So what people think is that Jesus is going to trial and he's going to be condemned and found guilty. But then what's going to happen is the Holy Spirit is going to stage a retrial within the hearts of the disciples and before the world and prove to them that Jesus was actually the, the Son of God. Similarly, the, uh, the disciples who read this and are going to be expelled from the synagogue, they are going to be tried and have all the damage and all the internalization of being pronounced guilty and perhaps you are a heretic and you're cursed by God. One of the things that they had to say in the synagogue was we curse heretics. So if anybody was ever going to say that, they were going to feel that they were cursing themselves. And any of us who have worked on sometimes ourselves with people who have lived with the burden of guilt will know how we sometimes curse ourselves. And then the Holy Spirit is going to retrial and say, no, you were right. Jesus is the son of God. And I think one of the things that's going on here is Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit will undo the condemnation that has sunk into you because of me. And that when you have taken a stand and you have been condemned as a heretic by religious people, I'm going to tell you that Jesus is the one who came. So I think this is a, a critical part of this chapter, the retrial by the Holy Spirit to in a sense, teach the truth to the disciples. This is the fundamental thing here, that Jesus has come into the world and has brought all people to himself. This is the gospel. This is a process which is going to involve pain, transforming into joy, uh, and you are going to be able to trust God in all of it, despite what the world says to you. Can you, I don't know if you can remember it, but can you repeat that phrase again? So the Holy Spirit comes... To stage a to... retrial uh -huh. within us. Yeah. It's really it, yeah. I can see why Augustine struggled. Yeah. It, do you know, you, you, you know, you almost want to have a pause at this point for us all to think about that a bit. But but I think as well, I mean, maybe you've not had this. I maybe lived with this quite a lot recently where people have kind of thought I was dodgy or a heretic because I, I, I was following what I felt the Holy Spirit to go. Now, I could still be wrong. I want to have an element of humility. But when you're in that position, it's really painful. Uh -huh. You feel that God's cursed you. You feel that these people might be right. Um, often it's around issues of ethics or doctrine. But actually Jesus comes here and says, it's about me. Mm. You know, and I think often when I'm encountering people, and I've got to be really careful here because I know other, I maybe do this. But I sometimes think, are you more in love with the, the sets of arguments? Are you more in love mm -hmm. with this certain author and their followers than you are actually directly 
with with Jesus himself? Are you in love with a vision of what it was to be a true Christian that you experienced at a certain peak point mm-hmm. of your life and now you're demanding that everybody else conforms to that? And all of these things are not relationships with Jesus. Yeah. It's when you relate directly to him and feel that, that well, I want to use the word flow, when you feel his life mm-hmm. in him that, that I think is, that's the truest thing. I think that's really, I'm really helpful, Neil, because uh, I think, as you have already said, you, you also, I think, feel that internally as well. You do, yeah, you think so, you know, the So the, extra, the, the, the external thing is very real. Yeah. But, you know, that, that sort of process of self-doubt and... And yeah, questioning. I think I think a lot of people will will identify with with what you're talking about there. Um, yeah. And, and takes me back to I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Yeah, yeah. Where we talked about truth being personal. Truth is about the personality of Jesus, which is not to say you disregard the canon of Scripture in its broader sense, but but you 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 find him. The the truth is Jesus Christ has come into the world. That's what it comes down to in John's Gospel. That's the gospel. Christ has come into us to bring us back to God's self. Yeah. Which again takes us back to the prologue, doesn't it? Yeah, we've, yeah. we've kept yeah. coming back to this um thing of, of you know the prologue sets it all up for us. Yeah. And and I think it's I think it's okay that that then sits alongside the the rude mechanicals as I'm now going to call them <laughs> of the you know the what's he meaning what's he talking about what's he, because yeah. because isn't that also the tension of we, we, you know, we think about things on high level, but we, but we, they, we live them out in the reality of our... That's been a constant thing in John's Gospel, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. That, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's an encounter at a well. You know, basically, it's it's, a, it's an encounter about getting enough to drink, you know, and at the wedding at Cana. You know, it's we've run out of bread, we're on, we're on a boat. It's, it's the ordinary things as the word becomes flesh. And if you could permit me another Queen story just for a second, one of the... One of the, the moments I most loved at that, that barbecue out in Loch Nagar was that uh, the Queen, everybody had a job at the dinner table and I was trying to help out. In the end, I, I, they wouldn't let me do anything. So I, quote, had to go and talk to the Duke of Edinburgh. So, you know, it wasn't the biggest hardship in the world. Um, but what the Queen loved to do, she loved to do ordinary things. And her favourite thing at the barbecue was uh, to light the candles. There were about 100 of these all around the, wow. the room. And she would just stand there with her taper lighting lighting candles and it was the ordinary things it also makes me think of god setting fire to the stars you know if the, the queen of, <laughs> of great britain loves lighting a candle then the king of the whole universe loves to build another galaxy but it's it's the ordinary and yet the glory is seen in the ordinary mm. to, to use a phrase of george mcleod's the glory in the gray it's mm-hmm. it's it's that um just that 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 brilliance um I know it's maybe the wrong moment, but at some point, will you be able to incorporate into the podcast your poem about the Queen? Because that's a lovely thing about glory in there as well. Uh, yeah, maybe not right now, but yeah, no, I will. I will. Yeah, I've written a poem about the Queen. So yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll, yeah, because it is, it's about glory, actually. It is about glory. It's funny, isn't it? Sometimes you write something and you think, what's this about? Oh, it's about glory. Yeah, you'd find, it's, yes, it's, I will. I said, how um, can I possibly know what I think until I've told you? I know, that's it. That's it. So yeah, so, so again, we're, we're coming back to those sort of kind of paradoxes held together aren't we yeah. and the other the other paradox i would love to talk a bit more about is is grief and joy or i, I don't know if they are paradox i don't think i don't know if they are opposites i don't well what do we think are they opposites when he talks about your grief turning to joy i think there's there's something you've said joe about actually one leads to the other isn't it yeah i think one of the translations talks about your sadness becoming joy rather than turns into and I think that 
is helpful for me because there is that element of something positive coming out of something that potentially we could have experienced that was negative. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm careful here because we don't want to, with emotions, say that's a good emotion, that's a bad emotion. Yeah. All emotions are good. We need to experience all emotions. But if we're talking about something like sorrow, grief, they tend to be around things of loss, of trauma, of tragedy. And the fact that it becomes joy, I think that has an element of hope to it. And again, I'm being careful here. Um, I think God does use situations. I'm not saying God authors situations. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that we do have this hope that God can use. Andy Squires, who's an American songwriter, he says... um, either everything is wasted or nothing is wasted Mm. and I like that um and just the just the reality of that you know Jesus says right at the end in the world you have trouble and suffering but take courage I have conquered the world and I think it's important here that we don't just run on and get to the end of the verse immediately Mm-hmm. I think it is okay to pause after in the world you have trouble and suffering because Jesus there is acknowledging that life is hard, life is tough, it's unfair and he completely acknowledges that. Um, and then it's okay to then move on and say, and but take courage, um, the idea of being undaunted, that we do have that knowledge But I wonder, I've thought a lot about this recently, how often do we hear stories told from platforms that are about people who have made it out the other side? Mm -hmm. And that can be amazing because we can hear things that are miraculous. We can just hear things that are very encouraging that God has seen, seen them through. But I wonder about whether we need to be giving the microphone more to people who are still in the midst of something. They're still in that, in the world you have trouble and suffering. And that it's okay to um, to stop there um, when they're in the midst. Because mm. mm. God is in the midst too. And indeed, perhaps somebody will never come through something and that will only be completed in heaven um i think as a church we need to be willing to sit with people in the midst when things aren't going the way we might have hoped or the things that we would pray for um yeah really interesting i could go on but i'll stop at the moment i, th- I think you're right jill i think it's that the hardest thing of when you're in that dark valley is you don't know how the story's going to end up. Yeah. And that is so frightening. Um, I was with a, a family this week whose son is just in all sorts of, of difficulty and they don't know how it's going to go. They genuinely don't. And for me to say it's all going to be fine is, is you just can't do it. You have to sit with the pain of it and acknowledge it. I'm, I For my 50th birthday, I was given a book called Bittersweet, how sorrow and longing make us whole. And uh, I thought it was quite funny that my, my well, 
some of my very best friends gave that to me. Um, so what, what are they saying? But it begins with the story of the cellist, cellist of Sarajevo, whose name was Vedran Smilovic, who during the siege of Sarajevo played a cello uh, in a graveyard. I think he began because he was right next to a market when it got shelled. And for every single day, he came and played Albinoni's uh, as a concerto. Is it the Adagio? Yeah, Adagio. Sorry, Albinoni's. Is that the one that was in? Oh, I'm getting mixed up now. Um, yeah. I want to sing, but I won't. But it's it's a descending. Yes, that one. Mm-hmm. He he played it every day in in Sarajevo, and then other musicians did it. And what they had to do was they had to attend to the pain, almost so that the joy of coming out the other side. Now, people often write as if, you know, that, for example, in this book, Susan Cain, it's not a Christian book. Why bittersweet, eh, why longing sorrow lead to joy? Now, why should that be? You know, the, people write as if there's almost some kind of law of karma in the universe, some kind of moral yeah. law, but there's no evidence for that. Yeah. The only way that can be true is if there's a God. And Jesus almost flips that the other way around and says, because there's a God who is my father and me in the spirit, this will always be true, that the pain will lead to joy. And and ultimately, all the stories will be gathered to a place of resolution, whether in this world or in the next. Mm-hmm. Don't you think that potentially within the church, it's almost like we feel we need to have permission to remain mm-hmm. in the pain, mm-hmm. in the midst um, I find that an odd thing. Why is it that I long for that permission? Um, and I think it's because I have a concern that I'm doing something wrong if I can't seem to be pushing through to the joy bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I live with mental ill health and that is like a, a daily kind of, I suppose, battle you would call oh. for me. And that is that living in the midst and I wrote an article um, for the Mind and Soul Soul, uh, Soul Foundation recently. And I say in it, um, as a Christian, I seem to have an inbuilt expectation, or is it a hope, that if I am truly following God, then the pain within will be soothed or taken away by God. And then I go on to talk about where have I learned that? Is that from Sunday school when we sang I am H-A-P-P-Y? I know mm. I am, I'm sure I am. Um, am I somehow failing in my walk with Jesus if I seem to be struggling? Um, and I, I would love to see that perception completely transformed. And I think we're better than we were in acknowledging trauma, especially coming out of the pandemic. Um, but yeah. As the church, surely we should be the people who are there saying there is no blame, there is no pressure, there is no shame in what you're experiencing. Um, Because Jesus says there, you will have trouble and suffering. It's not because of you. It's not because of anything you've done or not done. This is the reality. But take courage. I have conquered the world. Yeah. One of the most powerful... um, times I think recently in in church for me has been we did a three-week series on mental health now I appreciate that's ridiculous because we should be 
we should be tackling this all the time. But we did it. We did through, and, and as part of that, there were three people within the congregation who stood up and 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 gave testimony, basically. Um, and and going back to what you were you were talking about, yeah. Well, all of this really. There was one lady in particular. She's an older lady. Um, she is. She's one of those beautiful, you know, full of life, glowing. Seems to have everything together. Women actually. Um, and when she stood up and she 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 talked basically about about a lifetime of depression. She talked about that having started as postnatal depression, and having continued. And she talked about medication and the importance of that. She talked about moments of highs, moments of lows. She talked about people praying for healing. But but what was really powerful was she talked about the reality of the fact that she lives with this. And she she of course has an expectation that that miraculous healing could happen. But the but the what her testimony did was it did was it unlocked I think for a lot of other people in the room the understanding that you can be a faithful follower of Jesus, living in His love, living in in the acceptance of His love, but nonetheless deal with deal with suffering, live with suffering. Absolutely. And you know it's the cliche, isn't it, that you you know we we can see a broken leg, so we'll, we'll talk about that, but we can't see mental illness struggles so we, we won't talk about them but so I think what I'm trying to get at there is that there is something powerful when we we break some of that and say we are going to talk about these things and we're going to talk about them and create that space where people can acknowledge pain and experience pain and sit in pain yes and I, as soon as you said oh that's ridiculous because you know we should be talking about it all the time but the reality is we've got to start somewhere and so actually the fact that your church um has given the time to those three sessions. Funnily enough, our church did two sessions. We called it Conversations on Mental Health um, recently. And it's starting the conversation, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And it, and you're absolutely right. It is to acknowledge within community that there is no sort of um, second-class citizenship if you happen to struggle. Um, we are all loved by Jesus we are all living in his love in relationship with him and also that you know somebody living with mental ill health might find it very difficult to read the bible to pray to worship and none of that matters Mm -hmm. because you're in relationship with Jesus I've been in church not worshiping and somebody coming up to me at the end and saying oh I see you didn't worship today are you okay horrific I don't need to sing in church to show that I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Um, yeah, yeah. That's a whole other podcast, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Well, yeah. And interesting. And actually, coming back on the you know it's ridiculous only to talk for three weeks thing. It what what it did was it unlocked a conversation that's a that's an informal conversation actually. So so you're right. It does. Yeah. There's, a, there's a starting point. So yeah. I'm just reflecting on what you're saying in the light of the passage. What so Jesus does go into quite a lot of detail about what the pain is that. That, that people feel so he he says um you will have you will weep and mourn you will have pain and the pain there can be physical pain or mental pain it, it, it's a, an anguish another point he uses the word flipsis which is a word for pressure or, or, conf, or confliction that comes on yeah that feeling so so jesus doesn't say don't have those things he said you will have those things they're an absolute inevitable um and then, but he then brings another truth alongside it, which is there will be another day. There will be another day of, of joy. And I think you've got to be careful when you say that to someone else. But I think Jesus has the right to say this in this mm. situation. 
I I was I yeah, I was with somebody yesterday who had suffered a, a horrendous loss just recently, and they were with another relative in the room, and we were we were just sitting, we were do, doing the thing where we sat with the pain, but you know I'd been in the courses or heard the people say, but there came a point where I thought this is too difficult to stay here, so I began mm. to talk to the other relative who was there just a little bit about their family background, and that was the point at which the person who was feeling the loss most acutely left the room. Mm-hmm. And and I spoke to them a few moments later and they said, I just couldn't listen to that anymore, mm-hmm. which I thought was, you know, obviously that moment was misjudged. But we, we sat with it. But but Jesus has the right to, to bring alongside and say, there will be another day, which will be joy. And I think, you know, for Paul, the gospel was that you lived the crucifixion and the resurrection every day. Um and and that you trusted in it. And once again, it's for me, as so often, a key word here is faith or trust that God's got this. And and I think that's what Jesus is saying. God's got this, the Father has got this, and and you can trust. It, it takes me it takes me again to just that, that moment again of the Queen kneeling, you know, that God's God's got this. Um there's a there's a surgeon called Martin Knott who's Welsh who's a very very highly qualified surgeon, and he met the Queen. He'd been uh, looking after people in Syria, and when he got to meet the Queen and a group of people, he was just at that moment he was so overcome by the trauma and the memory and the loss of what he dealt with that he couldn't speak anymore. He um, he he broke down and wept in front of the Queen and all these other people. But what was remarkable is the Queen immediately intuitively understood what happened, brought him to a side room, asked for someone to bring the corgis and some dog biscuits. And together, she just asked this uh, surgeon Martin not to, to feed the corgis. And he said this was a profound moment of of healing mm. for him. Wow. She, she didn't push him out of it. She came alongside him. And of course, I think the queen could only have done that from her own suffering. That's the, yeah. that's the only mm. way you can live out of that. Um, so it's that moment of being with is the moment of healing. And then that is the place where you're able to, to sense the, the joy of, of the day that is to come. Yeah. And I think what's what's lovely about that story is what you just said, that it's out of your own experience of that, that you're then able to minister to others. Yeah. And that there is something in that, isn't there? Um, can we talk about resurrection when he says he, he will appear again? What's he talking about there? You're talking about the resurrection, or is there more to it? So the the commentators are divided on this one. Um, so some say it is the resurrection. So he says, "A little while you will not see me, then a little while you will." So that very much feels like Jesus is talking about the resurrection, and there's there's joy and fullness in those in those moments. But what's really interesting, Jesus says, "You will have all truth on that day." So he appears also to be talking about another time beyond the the Easter post-resurrection experience of the disciples. So other people have said, well, it's Jesus talking about the end of the world at this point when he fully appears. But then other people have come back, well, why would he say to the disciples a little while and you will see me again if it's going to be 2,000 years? That doesn't feel like like a little while. So as ever, probably the answer with John's gospel, as it always is, is both. Um, the, the, it's the, the, the life after Easter had, is permeated by the joy and the truthfulness of understanding the resurrection. 
but it's not yet complete and will be completed, I think, on the day of Christ. So I, I think it's I think it's both. And it speaks again to this sense of where we live as Christians, that we live in this time where somehow we experience some of the resurrection life now, but, but we wait for its fullness to come. Hmm. The now and the not yet of that. Yeah. Yep. Uh, time is pressing in on us once again. Um, Jill, you're very, uh, you're fitting in well because we always run out of time. <laughs> There's always more to be said. But, you know, I think we can say with the disciples, well, we understand it now. <laughs> and But do you? Like the disciples, do we? Um, yeah, it, I mean, I just I just thought there was, uh, see, now I'm looking at Life and Light and I can't find the right verse number, but there's just that lovely reminder that the Father loves you. Yes. It's just very simple, isn't it? In 27, I think it's 27. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Father loves you. Just whatever we are. Tender love. Yeah, exactly. Love. Exactly. Oh. You might not make sense. You might be sitting in grief. Remember that the Father loves you. I think that's that's really helpful. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. Was there anything else anybody wanted to, to bring to it? I think there's the whole idea of the Spirit bringing us into more truth, which I'm really interested in from someone who comes from a Reformed tradition, which at its heart says it's the Bible and then it's closed. And... um. Others who may come potentially from a, a more charismatic tradition where they would talk more about the spirit continuing to speak. And I actually think I have a lot of sympathy for that tradition, for the for the idea that the spirit continues to, to speak into us. Now, we can have a conversation about does it have the same authority as the scriptures and so on? And I don't know, but, but still, I love the idea that the spirit continues to bring us into all truth. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you've had experiences of, of that in the prophetic movement or in other places experience of of, of of being in the of people speaking yet further truth into your life as the spirit reveals more truth yeah i i don't i don't know if i maybe i just don't think about this enough i i just to me it feels reading the book of acts yeah. reading on into the church it just seems obvious that the spirit continues yes. <laughs> <laughs> we, we touched on that last time didn't we in, yeah. in when we talked about our or maybe it was the time before uh that that greater things verse isn't it greater things you'll do yeah, and yeah. We, we understood that it was it was you know the church being the growth of the body of christ but I, yeah you've just very politely said what's your point caller yeah yeah what's your point glover <laughs> No, I, I appreciate the, the theological nuance of it. I do, I do. And and I guess I've shifted a bit in my perspectives as, as I've grown older. But I, I have I have experience of... I think there are some things that, that are sometimes are are um, put into the, the the name of the prophetic that I would I would question. I would always I would always yeah. take prophecy and, and measure it against scripture and measure it in, in community and, and really discern. I'm suspicious sometimes when people are very God says this. Well, let's just discern that together, yeah. and let's discern that alongside Scripture. So, so you know, I'm not, um, I'm not denying that, but but I, I just, I just think it's a given that of course the Holy Spirit is continually working because that's what Jesus says. He says that, yeah, yeah, He's giving us this Advocate who leads us into into truth. I, I I've had a couple of experiences of people who were prophets speaking to me over me. I find them wonderful experiences. Oh, they, it's yes, uh-huh. yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So you've opened up a whole, I said, does anybody have anything else they want to add? And you've opened up what we would, we could talk about for hours. Maybe we can come back to it next time. Yeah, That's the kind of palming off thing that somebody says. <laughs> yeah, but I, my immediate response is, but Fiona, it's not mentioned in the other verses. I know, we'll not exactly. get back there. <laughs> we'll come back. Constraints that. of yeah. time. Good, good. Well, uh, would you like a poem? Yeah. 
Oh, I mean, yes, maybe maybe the nation's is. not ready for this. Uh, at risk of us uh, making this. Well, it's not all about the Queen, actually, this poem. It's all about, it is about glory. So I wrote this the other day. Just to re- I was just reflecting, actually, on the everyday and glory in the everyday, I think. So. On every letter posted and pocket full of change, you gazed ahead to something out of sight, a silent profile revealing little of your inner life. I did not know you, we never met, yet you held such a place in our everyday that we are caught off guard by this passing from glory. And in this unexpected sadness, I rejoice that now, your crown cast before another, you are truly known and caught up in the riches of that love divine, you too are changed and take your place. Hmm. Beautiful. I mean, it draws on a hymn. Yeah. Familiar Change from hymn glory singers glory. will know. <laughs> Which is love divine. Yeah, but yeah, there's, there's, yeah. I didn't. I don't have stories, Neil, about meeting the Queen because I never did. But you know, she was in our all our pockets yeah, all the time. Yeah, <laughs> it's a major, it's a major significant event, isn't it? And yeah, I, I was with friends who uh, their daughter just sucks in information, and I just casually said, uh, "Yeah, I wonder how many coins there are with uh, the Queen's head on them." And she just casually, went, yeah, fourteen point eight billion. She just knew it off the top of her head. <laughs> I'm not sure that was the exact number. She said the exact number, wow. but it was like, wow, you're on top of this. That's very, very impressive. That is quite a thought. Now, uh, we don't have a gem this episode. Yeah, where is Jen? For is she Jen in, is she is, actually, she's actually in Bolivia at the moment, isn't she? Well, the last I saw, she was in Santa Cruz, yeah. I think. I think that's right. I think they landed hi, Jen, there. if you're listening. Yeah, hi, Jen, if you're listening. Of course, she'll not be there now by the time the podcast goes out, but, you know. Um, but we don't have a gem, uh, because we don't have a gem. But, Jill, I think you've brought a jewel. Oh. Would you give us your see jewel? What, see what you've done there, Fiona. Just fantastic. Wait, you must have been pretty chuffed when you thought of that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so I was thinking back to when I was a little girl, um, and I went to Sunday school every week, and there was a man called Mr. McPherson. He was a Sunday school teacher and he was older. He was really good at singing with a guitar, I remember. And he was really good at telling stories. And I remember we would sit round on those you know, tiny, tiny chairs that are just for children, but adults try and fit onto. And he always managed. And he would say, let me tell you a story. And I can remember how amazing it was. It was like like um well how could I describe it like fireworks going off in my mind it helped me to imagine things so I remember him telling the story of the woman by the well in the heat of the midday sun I remember that one a lot and I remember him talking about the crowds laying their jackets on the ground as Jesus came in on a donkey just quite amazing and um one time 
a few years ago, once I had children of my own, I went back to the church and he was still there. And I remember thinking he was probably over a hundred when I was a child and I had to hide the shock on my face. But he was very significant because when I was 11 years old, he asked me a question at the end of Sunday school one day. He said, Jill, or he probably said Jillian in those days, Jillian, do you want Jesus to be number one in your life above all other things? And that night in my bed, sitting up with a pillow behind me, I gave my life to Jesus. And then I also remember at the same church, there was an old lady called Agnes, and I would go and speak to her most weeks at the end. She was so gentle and she smelled of rose perfume and she always had sweeties, which was obviously a draw. <laughs> um, I remember her telling me that she used to get the Glasgow Herald every morning and open it up at the birth announcements and she'd close her eyes and she would let her finger drop and wherever it dropped, she would pray for that baby. But she wouldn't just stop there. She would pray for the baby's family. And then she always prayed for who they would marry. And I just remember that so vividly. And I'm convinced that I learned more from Agnes about prayer than I ever did from years in Sunday school. And the charity I work for, I've done a lot of research into what is it that children need in order to grow a faith that will last. And one of them is this idea of intergenerational relationships because that leads to a sense of belonging. So when I look back, growing up in that church, being a part of Mr. McPherson's group was really key for me because I felt like I belonged. I was a valued member of the group. And speaking to Agnes, she valued me enough to tell me her faith stories. And that made me feel special. And I think that when I heard about her faith in Jesus, her belief in a God that listened to her and answered her prayers, it allowed me to dare to believe that, you know, the same could be true for me. Perhaps the God of the universe did actually love and care for a little seven-year-old girl from Glasgow. So my jewel for this week is, whatever age you are, never underestimate the impact you can have on a child's life. Perhaps you could be a Mr. McPherson or an Agnes. So take opportunities whenever they come to speak to teenagers, speak to kids. You don't need to be knowledgeable. You don't need to be on trend. You don't need to have any answers. Just be willing to talk and to listen and to share and to encourage and to praise. That's my jewel. Love it. Thank you. I'm going to take sweeties to church on Sunday. Well, yeah, like yes, it was a draw. Yeah. That was a draw, but it's like lemon sherbets. Lovely, good choice, good choice. Thanks for that. That was that was fabulous, and thank you both for your wisdom today. Um, it does feel so every episode we we kind of step nearer and nearer to something holy, doesn't it? Um, and and next time we eavesdrop on on Jesus' great prayer for himself, for the disciples, for us, and I think there will be that sense of the the holy around that too. So, um, thanks for listening, and uh, please join us next time when we will be. Uh, delving into John chapter 17.